This time I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, I'll begin reading at verse 13 through chapter 5, verse 6. We continue our sermon series on the letter of James. If you're using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 1201. This morning I want to focus primarily on verses 13 to 17 of James 4. Let us now hear God's word. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are, they, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's ask his blessing and the preaching of his word in a time of prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, we pray for your spirit's illumination to open our minds and hearts to not only hear the word preached, but also to believe it and to walk according to it. Grant us, O Lord, ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching the church. We ask this in your name. Amen. Once again, congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, James speaks and writes like an Old Testament prophet. He is not afraid to call out the congregation, call out the Christians there, or so-called Christians, of their conduct before a watching world, even in their own midst. Last week, we saw how the congregation of Christ was walking in the wisdom of this world. And as a result, there were quarrels and fights among the people. Quarrels and fights that originates in the very heart of man. You remember? You want to know where quarrels and fights and arguments come from? It comes from the very heart. 
And James goes even deeper and says it comes from the devil himself. James pulls no punches. He exposes the heart for what it really is. And his teaching is very much like the prophets of the Old Testament. His teaching is very much like the Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospels. But we have to remember, as I brought to our attention last week and every week in the past, that he presupposes that the Christian has been bought by the blood of Christ. He believes on the Lord Jesus Christ and is saved. He does not promote a gospel of works. He does not promote a gospel of works righteousness. Rather, he promotes the teaching that says, if you have faith, then that faith works. It works righteousness. The righteousness of Christ in you and produces fruits. Once again, once again, James calls the attention of his audience and he calls our attention, the church of, the, of Jesus Christ, he calls the church's attention to the Lord's will. And he communicates to us, do not disregard the Lord's will. Or I can title this sermon, do not disregard the Lord's providence. Let's look first at our first point. The arrogant make great boasts about their future plans. Look with me in your Bible. Come now, verse 13, come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. He follows the teachings of the Proverbs themselves. Proverbs 27, verse 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. You see, James isn't condemning here. We have to remember that he's not condemning the practice of business ventures to make a profit. He's not condemning a free market society or an a, a economic system like capitalism. He isn't condemning the practice of financial planning. He's not condemning saving for the future. Both are actually, all of these are actually encouraged in the Bible. Proverbs 13, 22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Laziness and a poor work ethic are actually condemned and rebuked in the Bible. So he's not speaking or condemning those practices. So what's the problem? What's the problem? The language of James is strong here, and he rebukes the arrogant person who makes great boasts about today and tomorrow, neglecting disregarding and ignoring the Lord's will or the Lord's providence. He has no concern about the Lord's will. Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a city or town. He's, he may be speaking to the merchants here and, and rebuking the merchants in those society who would do this very thing. Go on these business ventures but James calls them arrogant because they boast greatly, ignoring or disregarding the Lord's will 
when they pursue their business ventures, thinking that they have control of the outcome in the future. We will do this, this, and this. Therefore, this, this, and this ought to happen. Really? You think that's how it works? Verse 16 actually helps interpret verse 13, doesn't it? Look with me in your Bible. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. They boast in their arrogance. The word arrogance here in the original language is a very interesting word. It refers to a vagabond, a quack who makes empty boasts about having the cure to rid people of certain illnesses. That's how this word was used in that culture and context. A guy would go around claiming to have a cure for something. He would dupe people into believing it. He was very arrogant and made made boastful claims. Again, the problem isn't the business pursuits or financial planning. The problem is the attitude of the heart of these arrogant people. An attitude of heart and mind that does not practice the Christian faith in all spheres of life, vocation, church, family, with neighbor. James refers to all of life. All of life must be lived under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Even your business ventures. You don't leave church this morning acting all pious and then going out into the world and living out your business ventures as if God does not exist. As if God's will does not matter. That's being called double-minded, which James uses so often. No, if you're going to be a merchant, then do it according to God's will and purposes. If you're going to be a plumber, do it to the will and glory of God. If you're going to be a lawyer, do it to the glory of God. If you're going to be a teacher, do it to the glory of God. Do all of life to the glory of God, submitting oneself under the lordship of Jesus Christ. But these folks are arrogant, prideful, boastful. They have selfish ambitions and goals that exclude or ignore or disregard the Lord's will and providence. And just in case they don't understand what James is talking about, he gives them a little illustration. By way of illustration, congregation, let me tell you about your life. Look with me in your Bible, verse 14. And yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Second point, life is transitory. Life is transitory. In other words, life is short. Life is short-lived. The word here for mist is the word that also can be translated vapor, smoke, or fog. Just as in the morning here in the country, you may wake up and see a mist in the horizon, 
or it may be a foggy day, but once the sun comes up and that heat hits it and it evaporates and disappears, so is your life. Notice what he says here. What is your life? What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Indeed, that is true. (laughs) You've heard phrases, time flies, or man, life just passed me by. Or if you're a young parent with young children and you have older adults come to you who have adult children and they say to you, oh, just enjoy it now because they're going to grow up so fast and next thing you know, you're going to be a grandparent. And I remember when the kids were young, we thought the same thing, oh, whatever, you know. doesn't help me when the kids are scrambling around the house and we're pulling out our hair. But life is short. It is transitory. Oh, the brevity of life. Oh, the brevity of life. Oh, the uncertainties of life. The uncertainties of life. Life is transitory. Whether a person lives one year or 30 years or 100 years, life is still transitory when it is compared to eternity. When it's compared to eternity, life is short. Life is short. For Christians, the business pursuits and financial plannings are pursued with the understanding and attitude that the Lord's will is perfect and things may change at a moment. One's whole course of life can take a detour at a moment. Your financial nest egg can take a drastic detour in a moment. Your family situation can take a detour in a moment. So then, how does this change the way you live your life? How does this change the way you view your life? How does such knowledge change the way you and I live the Christian life? A most vivid and profound teaching of the brevity and uncertainties of life is found in the parable of the rich man or the rich fool. Turn with me in your Bible, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Verse 13. Luke 12, beginning at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, 
take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You make boastful plans now, O rich man. But right now your very soul may be required of you. And all that wealth, all that inheritance, who's going to receive it? You've never seen a hearse carry a U-Haul, as is once said, have you? You can't take it with you. Whoever is not rich toward God is the fool who will have no inheritance. Because life is transitory. And our soul may be required of us on this very day. And so what do you make of it? What do you make of your life on this day? Steve Jobs, the co-founder of Apple and Pixar Animated Films, gave a, a commencement speech at Stanford University. And he had three parts to his speech. And the third part was on death. And listen to what he wrote. He said, remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, their things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. Remembering that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You are already naked. There is no reason to follow your heart. Now here is someone who I don't believe knows the Lord Jesus and yet died of cancer saying, follow your heart. What do you got to lose? You're going to die. For the Christian, for the Christian, we say life is short. Life is transitory. We only have one life to live. The brevity of life should therefore drive us to Jesus. The brevity of life should drive us to serve Jesus. The brevity of life should drive us to submit to Jesus and his will and purposes for our lives. The brevity of life should drive us to align our lives with the Lord's moral and revealed will of God first and foremost. When God gives life or takes life, that's his business. How do you live your life now? When life is transitory. When the Lord opens or closes doors, that's his wisdom and plan. We are called to trust him like little children. To trust Jesus by faith. 
And to be a people of prayer, acknowledging that every good and perfect gift comes from Him. And the life that He gives me, I will live for Him and His glory and honor. And not waste my life. Don't waste your life, wrote Piper. Life is transitory. What's truly important, knowing this, that we're going to die, or unless the Lord should come again? Knowing that we've rested in his grace and mercy and forgiveness through faith in Jesus, and that by his spirit and word, we desire to live according to his revealed will. Life is transitory. What do we make of our lives? It is but a mist. But a mist. Compared to eternity, it is but a mist. And then James says at verse 15, Instead, instead you ought to say, he refers back to what he said earlier at verse 13, where at verse 13 he says, Come now you who say today or tomorrow, We'll do this or that, make a profit. But now he says here at verse 15, Come now, come now. You, who, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So thirdly and lastly, the humble, the humble submits to the Lord's will. The humble submits to the Lord's will. For the Christian, we must not dis disregard the Lord's will or providence because everything is in his hands. And without the Lord's permission, we have nothing and can do nothing. He works out his perfect, sovereign will, and therefore we pray, Lord, if you are willing, if you permit, I will go into such and such a town. I will do this or that. Lord, if you are willing or if you permit, I will do such and such vocation. If you are willing, I will do fill in the blank. In all our labors or vocations or financial planning, Christians acknowledge that all of our lives are in the Lord's hands. All of it. God is a God of providence. He is immutable. He does not change. Oh, the depth and breadth of the wisdom of God. Who can understand it? Now listen carefully. I think this, app, this text applies broadly. More broadly than financial planning, or business ventures. I think the application of the text really extends to many areas of life when we consider the future. We can arrogantly plan out our lives. When I finish high school, I'm going to attend college and major in this, or go to this trade school and study this, and be an apprentice here or there. After I finish these things, I'm going to go and get married, have abundant children, and do this or that. I'll get a great job. 
I may get married. Now, these are all good things. And there's nothing inherently wrong with them. It is, however, presumptuous to assume that that's how God's will will unfold in our lives. You hear what I'm saying? It is a bit presumptuous to assume that that's how God's will will unfold in our lives. I have a perfect plan for my life. You may have the whole course of your life planned out and the Lord says, no, or not at this time, or wait. Those other plans are good, but the Lord's plan, the Lord's will, the Lord's promise of providence is better. The Lord's will and the Lord's providence is better. Because to be in God's will is to be in the best place for you and your life and for his glory. Some people may never get married if you're single and struggle with that. Some people may never have children or never see their plans unfold in life. God doesn't love you any less. He doesn't love you any less. He doesn't see you as an inferior Christian. He loves you. And to be in his plan, in his will, according to his providence, is the best place to be. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. It's good to make plans, but the Lord's will and providence is better. The Lord has a particular and perfect plan for each one of his children, each one of his children, his sheep for whom Christ died. And what God has willed for you means that you are to receive that in a way that understands that he cares for you because he is a faithful father. He is a faithful father. And the challenge for us, the challenge for us is this. When I don't see this unfold, when I don't see my plan unfold in my life, here's the question. Here's the question. You listening? Here's the question. Can I be content with that? Can I say it is well with my soul? Can I say not my will, but thy will be done? Because God, you are a faithful father, a loving father, and you know what is best for me. 
Or will we fight his will, force something to happen, and do so with a grumbling, discontent heart? I'm going to force myself to get married and therefore find myself in a relationship that causes pain. Hear what I'm saying? God's providence is profound. There is so much mystery because you have human responsibility and divine sovereignty. Because we are still responsible creatures who are called to live according to his will, his revealed will. And God calls us to live according to that way, to according to his revealed moral will, and to trust him for the future. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, as the hymn writer wrote. I mean, think of some of the biblical examples. Joseph's life was altered dramatically, sold into slavery by his brothers. And what did he say to his brothers? I curse you. No. He said, what you meant for evil, God meant for what? Good. He had God's providence deeply rooted in his heart. Job's life was altered dramatically his wife said, curse God and die. Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job knew God's providence and God's providence led him to persevere. Paul's life was altered when he became a Christian and a missionary. He depended on, his, on God's will and providence in his coming and going. Numerous times he speaks of, if the Lord wills, if the Lord permits. And of course, our Lord Jesus Christ, who came to seek and to save the lost, lost, to give his life as a ransom for many, to pay the penalty for sin, to be our substitute, our mediator, our savior, our great high priest. And in order to be all those things, he must suffer and die. And he said, Lord, take this cup from me, but not, my, not what I will, but thy will be done. In all these biblical examples, the Lord's will was not ignored or disregarded. They humbled themselves. They humbled themselves and followed the Lord's will. Then James concludes the section here, which is actually a continuation in, in chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, when he talks about the rich. He says in verse 17, therefore, or so, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This, this verse may seem out of place, but in its context, it matters. It's important. He says that it's sin for someone to know the right thing to do and forbids to do it. What is the right thing to do? That which is revealed in God's will and God's word. And what is revealed in in God's word, is that you ought to love your neighbor as yourself. 
And to not do the right thing and love your neighbor is to do the wrong thing. Do you see how he goes from God's will, that is his providence, to now the moral will, the revealed will of God, which we do know. It's a sin to know God's moral will and disregard it. Again, James follows the teachings of Jesus who rebuked the religious elite who loved money and self-righteousness at the expense of causing greater harm on those whom they were called to serve. For example, the Good Samaritan. Proverbs 3, 27-28. I, I, think, I think that maybe James was thinking about Proverbs 3 here. Verse 27 and 28. If you're taking notes, write those verses down. It says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Did not Jesus teach this? And now James is teaching it. You see, this is how the Christian walks and, and puts feet to their faith. Faith works. Faith worketh through love. Galatians 5, verse 6. Therefore, to do the right thing for your neighbor is God's will for your life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But oh, do we struggle with sin in the flesh yet, don't we? Oh, we still struggle with my will be done. We still struggle with pride. Because we want everything to turn out the way we want it to turn out. We, at times, disregard the Lord's will because we know what's best for ourselves. And so here, too, we must repent. Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me by the blood of Christ. Help me to look to Christ, my righteous one, my perfect Savior. And help me to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, to walk by grace and by your Spirit. Help me to sing as a singwriter wrote, Take my will, Lord, and make it thine. Take my will, Lord, and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. It shall be thy royal throne. Lord, humble me. Humble me in such a way. Humble me in such a way that my heart is transformed and that your will is conformed in my life so that I walk in a manner worthy of the calling and whatever comes my way according to your good providence, I accept it in faith. I accept it and I will glorify your name. Take my will, Lord, and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Amen. Let's pray. O oh, Father in heaven, we pray, O oh God, that you would indeed take our hearts, take our mind, take our wills, take our voices, take our hands, take our eyes, take our whole being. And transform them to the image of our Savior, Jesus. 
May we be transformed to the image of our creator into righteousness and holiness. Not relying upon our own righteousness, for we have none, but looking to the righteousness of Jesus. Trusting in him like little children and desiring, having a will to walk in a manner worthy of the calling knowing that you will do all things to the glory of your name and for the good of your people. Oh, Father, help us in dark providences of life, when the billows of life overwhelm us. May you, O Lord, grant us peace. May you, O Lord, grant us your word to remind us that you are with us always, even to the end of the age, and that you know what is best for us.